Hello and welcome to my first episode of my podcast series. For those that don't know me, my name is Danny. I am a proud Wiradjuri woman, respectfully living and working on Daru country. I am a mother, partner, sister, aunt, cousin and friend. I'm self-employed and have been for the most part of the last six years. I am choosing to share my journey today and as this podcast goes so I can help make a difference in breaking down the barriers to be able to open the space for sharing and healing. That's really important to me. I've learned a lot about myself in my journey and I believe that somewhere out there there is someone like me needing someone to see them in their experience, to lean in and to pull them up. In this podcast I'll be diving deeper uh, into practices, I guess modalities that I have personally experienced. I want to be able to share those things with you. So then if you also are struggling, if you identify with my experience or parts of my experience and you see ways that you can help yourself, I want to be able to help you on that journey. Some of the subjects that we will, or I will, and others will discuss in this podcast series are mental health, relationships, business, and spirituality. They're not restricted to just those four subjects. They'll, they'll also open up and expand on many other things that uh, you might be interested in or that you are currently experiencing. So please sit tight. Uh, we will cover many, many things and there won't be many barriers to that. So I'm looking forward to being able to share some more. Uh, all of these things, you know, I'll expand on in the podcast. So uh, there'll be some podcasts where I'll just share my own experience um, and there will be other episodes where we will talk to somebody else and get some insight on their own experiences and their own knowledge. I've actually attempted to record this audio before uh, a few times. <laughs> uh, the intention was to, you know, share my journey and, and help others also. So for whatever reason before it's not worked out, you know, sometimes the audio ain't great. Sometimes I didn't feel it very strongly, like it wasn't where I needed to be. Um, but also I just get in my own way because like every other individual living on this planet, uh, fear can pop up for me and not always, but a lot of the time it can stop me from doing some things that I really want to be doing. Um, but that's okay. We're allowed to trial and error and test the waters. So, um, you know, it's just time I stopped getting in my own way. Um, it's a pretty strange feeling to be talking to nobody, to a microphone, <laughs> um, and then for it to be listened to later, like, <laughs> you know, capturing that audio. It's, it's kind of weird. Um, but I think it's a good example of just doing the thing that you want to do, that you're obviously drawn to, um, because we're all just winging it anyway and... It's just a thing that you've just got to get past. I've always wanted to, I've always wanted to and had a desire to succeed in, in work and whatever that is. Uh, I find myself in a position where I love to talk and discuss life and the journeys of it and the experiences and opportunities that come along with it. In fact, I love talking to people and talking about things so much that I want to be able to share it capture it and share it and put it out in the world. So here I am ready to learn and grow and expand with you. So let's get into it. Firstly, quick shout out to all my supports who pushed me to go for it, to be brave in my pursuit, who believe in me and remind me to just keep going. You all have influence in my life in the way of support and love. I am so eternally grateful for those who are in my life or who have been part of my life. I feel very privileged to have wonderful relationships in my life. We need to be able to actively engage in relationships. It's no use being passive. I've taken a pretty active approach to relationships for a little while. I guess I've tested the method of creating the life I want to live. 
and that also applies to my relationships. I can also honestly say that my relationships are all adding value to my life in one way or another. And throughout my life, I've collected some tools and resources that have allowed me to continually grow as a human. Uh, I want to share some of these experiences with you and interview people I believe can help us expand and talk about things that can help you on your journey too. I am currently training to be a yoga teacher with Nin Yoga and it is changing me. It's helping me calm but also erupting some things in me that I feel really drawn to express. If you haven't tried yoga (laughs) or you're not following Nin Yoga, you must. Um, just it's a beautiful practice Uh, it is a a growing experience I believe Uh, and yeah it's it's definitely a journey Um, (laughs) but I feel privileged also to be able to do this do training to be a yoga teacher because it's really cracked me open sort of in a really different way than other modalities have Um, so I'm, I'm really quite happy about that and it's been very challenging uh, but so rewarding um, and I've still got some time to go but, you know, I think it's, it's important for me to document that experience because it, um, it's doing so much for me, I guess, and I just know if it's already done so much in, you know, this short period of time that I've been doing the course, it is only going to get greater and greater um so yeah like I want to be able to share that with others um but it essentially just leads me into the work that I do myself daily uh I'm not perfect but I've spent a lot of time questioning my makeup how I got here what events led me to be the person I am today so I'm going to get real and raw with you now (laughs) my childhood was difficult you know, I was still a child, so in, in, in lots of respects, I still got to experience what that what that humbling and beautiful experience is to be a child, uh, but it was definitely difficult. I grew up in social housing with parents that relied on the government. Um, money was scarce for us. I've only ever known struggle. When you live in scarcity, it develops you differently. I have unknowingly created beliefs that money is scarce. It doesn't come easy and that money is not for me. And even though like on the flip side of that, I have worked so hard in my life, like so hard, like (laughs) I've really fucking done the blood, sweat and tears thing. And I've done that because I want to attain money. I want to create different life with money than I had experienced. I want to give my children a different life than I had experienced in in my upbringing. And, you know, I grew up in Western Sydney with three sisters, parents. I went to primary school and high school here in Western Sydney. And I have lived and worked here for the most part of the last 31 years. Uh, It's not easy to be the poor kid at school let alone one of the small percentage of children who identify as Aboriginal in school. And this is just to note that not everybody identifies as Aboriginal and there are barriers and challenges that are associated with that. We will discuss that later on through the podcast. But I actually felt like the odd one out, you know, like I might have had three sibling sisters in the same school, but I mean like from my little world perspective, I really felt like I was the odd one out. And because of that, I felt it would be easier to be small and stay unseen. So I stuck to friendships that accepted me without question. They didn't question me about what I was wearing or whether I was wearing the coolest brands or like, you know, what my family did or how, you know, what my house looked like. These people like fully accepted me and they are still my friends today. Like literally Nin Yoga, the, the, where the institute essentially is that I'm learning to be a yoga teacher. The owner of that, Annika, I have known her since I was, I think, eight. So that goes to show that like, I really did stick to people who did accept me and support me, and they still do to this day. I tried academically at school. Like I had a lot of interest 
to do well at school. I There were particularly two subjects that I loved so much, which were science and geography, those two things. And they actually make a lot of sense now, to be honest. Uh, but I didn't I didn't explore those further as, you know, after those subjects were, I guess, you know, part of school. I just sort of just kept going on with life, just looking at ways to make money. So I didn't really fold into the parts of my life they are now. But at the time, I loved them. I, and I actually did really well in those subjects. And I actually felt, you know, quite connected and I understood them. Whereas maths, for example, was really difficult. <laughs> Still is difficult, FYI. <laughs> it's so difficult. I don't, numbers, ugh. They're, they're so hard, you know, but nonetheless, I did try it. Like I really tried at school. Um, I feel like maybe I didn't get that much out of school, academically speaking, but I did try and there were definitely times of stress at home. So that sort of impacted, you know, my schooling. And to be honest, it wasn't really well supported. Uh, so anyway, once school had finished, I'd already been working for a few years prior to this. Like I started working at 13 because money was scarce. Uh, but I was pretty ready to rumble. I remember when I finished school, I was like, that's it. Like I need to get out there and make a living. You know, I literally left school running two jobs, um, just trying to figure out what this life thing was. But, you know, so far up until the end of school, I had experienced responsibilities that most teenagers didn't. So when I left school, I was basically still trying to break free of limitations because by this stage, you know, I was an adult and I was keen and excited to explore the world outside of the world I had currently lived and yeah I just really wanted to like I because I knew innately there was something out there I remember like sort of this feeling of a reaching of something else but just having no idea what that looked like and because you know I I, I feel so much calmer when I can visualize something in in the future I couldn't do that because at, at this stage I hadn't experienced it I hadn't been around anybody that experienced it. So far, the conditioning that I had was scarcity and struggle, you know. So, I mean, that's just an idea of what I was, how I already was made up by that stage. And like I said, I innately knew there was something larger than me that I could reach for. I just didn't know what that looked like yet. So the, the I guess the learning of that, um, of that experience was exciting but also I was wary because I like I said I didn't know what that looked like yet anyway so as time went on about a year after school had finished um I ended up landing a stable government job I was proud of myself for getting that job because I remember at the time I was applying for like 20 jobs a day. Like I cared so much about getting out there and making a living because by this stage I was living in my own apartment in an apartment I could barely afford. So, you know, I, uh, but anyways, getting this job was like a really exciting time for me, you know, like so far I hadn't gotten a full-time job. Uh, let alone a stable full-time job, and one that I was offered the opportunity to go 12 months solidly training. So it was a traineeship to begin with, uh, which helped me land it professionally in after the 12 months to be like a permanent role. So, and still by this stage, I, I didn't know what that looked like. I just knew that I was like in this position and I was excited and I was learning and I was meeting other women who were also in the same sort of unknowing as me, um, but also excitement. So about six months after I finished the traineeship, so maybe 18 months into my role. Actually, no, it wasn't. It was prior to that because I remember I actually hadn't finished yet, but it was really, really close um, because I actually fell pregnant uh, in the first year, so closer to the, the, the end of that traineeship. Uh, but then because I hadn't quite signed the paperwork to be, you know, in this full-time role permanently, I knew I was pregnant, but I like hit it because I was so afraid of uh, not getting the full-time role like the permanency out of that. Anyway, I had hidden this pregnancy for 19 weeks. That was a really long time. That's like nearly half the pregnancy, right? Crazy. And I was tiny then, like size six. It would have been obvious. <laughs> but I was like still going about like it didn't exist. But anyway, I'll rewind a little bit because I need to tell you about the story about me falling pregnant. Um, I fell pregnant at 21. Uh, and when I fell pregnant, I was not prepared. I was not prepared to be in a position where I had to raise another person nor financially <laughs> support another person. I was doing fine financially for myself, but I wasn't ready or prepared to have a child. I couldn't even wrap my head around knowing 
that this was for me. I know I'm capable of raising a child because, you know, I dreamt of having a baby, uh, but I didn't anticipate for it to happen so soon. So I was pretty devastated, not going to lie. I cried for an entire month. That probably has something to do with the hormones and the fact that I was sick, whatever. Either way, I was pretty, pretty overwhelmed. But anyway, nonetheless, I got on with it because by this stage, you know, I was pretty, pretty pregnant. I birthed my son, Jackson, uh, began a life as a mum, as a young mum in the world. And it was difficult, yet wonderful. My experience as a first-time mum was really beautiful. Well, at least the birth was incredibly beautiful in the first few months. was really, really beautiful. The birth of a child is actually an incredible experience. It can be incredibly amazing and it can be incredibly terrible. <laughs> the spectrum is pretty large. I'm sure every mum says something different. Uh, but I fell in love with Jackson the moment I laid eyes on him. I just remember thinking, wow, like that, there's a human right here in front of me on me together, me and him, you know. And the day he was born was the day I was literally cracked open so wide with love. Like I'd never fully experienced loved like this large and this deep. It was just so incredible and it was just beyond my understanding at this point. You know, I, mind you, like, again, to return to the fact that I was only 20, 22 at this stage. But the intuition, I remember, like, the day he was born, literally, the intuition that was, like, turned on was mind-blowing. Like, I remember he would – I would wake up literally – 30 seconds before he would um, to feed. It's not like I had any body clock at this stage. This is very early motherhood. So my body was adjusting, but it just knew exactly what to do. And at first I remember waking up prior to him waking up thinking coincidental. And then when it would just happen every single time, I realized that it was actually part of me and part of him that were connected, which, you know, looking back on is just a beautiful thing to think about. But uh, anyway, my, I guess my body just knew what to do and I just adapted really well to being a mum. First time. A few years later, I had helped raise my own nieces who were small babies. So I was about 16 when my eldest sister had kids. Um, so I guess um, from a very early age, I mean, like I got to be a nanny, but I was helping raise them. You know, I don't mean just as like an auntie, like a fun experience, as like a support point of view. I literally had to help raise babies at the age of 16 in my own family home. But anyway, raising my own baby was familiar, but also not, like completely not. Like the human body can do incredible things, but the spiritual journey is just as incredible when you become a parent. I wasn't home for very long with my son. Uh... I was, because I was pretty young, I hadn't even been able to like create a financial, like a, a, a comfortable financial position to be on maternity leave. Like I'd only had the maternity leave that I was, I had access to via my job, which was more than most people that I knew had. Um, and it was just, it was lush really. Like I was pretty, I felt pretty grateful to be able to have maternity leave available to me because at this point, you know, like I said, I didn't have a financial comfortable position yet. I was not preparing to have children yet. I was 21 when I felt pregnant. I was not prepared. And then when you fall pregnant, you literally only have a few months to figure this shit out. So still didn't have that much time to create much financial stability uh, to be on maternity leave any longer than seven months with my son. So after seven months, I returned to my job because I had to, I, I had to continue to help pay bills that I, you know, I was living in my own apartment. I had my own car, like I had to pay these things. But anyway, going back to work was so hard. I started out about two days a week and then increased it to three and then four days. But by the time I got to the four days, it was pretty quick. It was probably like three months because at this stage I was like, yeah, I can do this. Like it wasn't easy. That's for sure. It's working as uh, a working parent, I guess, is hard. Like it's really hard. Oh my God, it's so hard. Uh, especially if you're working for somebody else, if you're an employee for another business, because you're restricted with what you can and can't do. And there are rules and uh, policies that govern you and, and how you operate with them. So it was really hard being a working mum. I went on another like two years before I had my second child. Well, I, my working career was about two years because Jackson's 
about three and a half when I had Isla. But yeah, Isla was beautiful. She was she slotted in really great with our family, to be honest, because it was the four of our, uh, the three of us at the time, and and she made four. My experience with birthing Isla was just not pleasant. Um, it was incredibly traumatic, actually. I was t- ten days over, um, so I was induced, and I got to labour for about twelve hours, I think. It was literally twenty four hours, actually, but the way. I guess the hospital um, measure it. It's actually only 12 hours, which to me is mind-blowing. I was literally in labour for 24 hours. I don't care what anybody says. I was experiencing contractions for 24 solid hours. Um, But they call it pre-labour, whatever. Active labour, 12. To me, it's all the fucking same. It's so painful. (laughs) But, yeah, I was induced. And so I was in labour for 12 hours before they had to call it and tell me I had to have an emergency cesarean and it was only one hour before that that they um, that I'd actually had the epidural. So prior, so for a good solid eleven hours, I didn't have any other pain medication besides the gas. But then I got to a stage where I was like, "Yeah, I need the epidural. I'm dying." <laughs> Many women out there <laughs> probably totally understand what I'm saying, but yeah, you know, labouring and uh, contractions and everything about the birth experience is painful. And it really can push you to your edges. Uh, so anyway, I got reeled into the emergency cesarean. So I was pretty lucky because I'd actually had the epidural prior to being told I was going in for cesarean. Uh, I didn't have to be put to sleep. I got to stay awake. In hindsight, I wish I wasn't awake because, and I'm going to tell you why. So when I got into the surgery and they prepped me, laid me down, mind you, by all up into this, like I'm still in, I'm feeling pretty upset and, and scared because you know, the labor itself is scary. You don't know what it's going to look like. And mind the fact that it was my second child, the first child, I never got to be able to experience birth at all. Um, not, not a natural birth. Anyway, I had to have a cesarean because Jackson was actually the wrong way around and I didn't get the choice. So with Isla, um, when I got reeled into that emergency cesarean, I was pretty scared because I was, I was in a lot of pain. My body was experiencing a lot of feelings and emotions. And like, I was, I was, I was afraid because I, that's not the plan that I had. I didn't have a plan to have cesarean the second time around. I really, I really zoned in on trying to do this one naturally. Um, so I guess there was a feeling of like loss because I didn't get to do, I wasn't able to do that anymore. And then I was going into this cesarean scared because my body was, uh, in, in a weird state, I guess. So they wheeled me in, I was on the table and they pretty much just started getting going and I actually felt the incision and I remember screaming and like everyone was like what's going on and I sort of had said like look I can feel what you're doing like everything that's going on down there I can feel it stop it's terrible so they gave me uh, more pain medication but that the excess I don't know it was probably a combination but the the excess amount of drugs that were in my system pain medication on top of the like the I don't know the fear and the, the, the it was just so scary like feeling that incision and and everything leading up to that so I was so afraid and so by this stage um, by the second lot of pain medications my body started to convulse so mind you like with an epidural if you don't already know your body is numbed basically from the shoulders down I think it's shoulders down or hips down whatever it is but I just remember not being able to feel my body except be able to move my arms and 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 face so my body started to like convulse and by body I mean the only parts of me that I could feel which were uh my arms my chest my face and my head and it literally I'm not joking was convulsing my body was laying on the table but not quite laying because it was just jumping off constant movements convulsion in my body uh and I I now looking back I think a lot of that was actually fear and I was in shock, I guess. My flight response was activated because now I understand that it was a flight response because I've had to do so much work to figure this stuff out, which we, again, like I'll expand on. But at the time, I didn't know that. I, all I knew was that my body was convulsing and I was fucking shit scared. And my partner, Paul, was doing the best he could. Like he was just like, I don't know what to do for you, but what do you need? And I was crying. I just couldn't stop because I was so scared. I ended up with a nurse on my left arm, a nurse on my right arm, holding my arms down 
to stop them from jumping around and convulsing. And Paul had to hold my face. So he had to hold like my jaw from chattering because it was smashing, like my teeth were just smashing against each other because like my entire body was shaking. Um, So you can imagine like going into surgery and feeling this is not a good thing and it, it certainly doesn't set you up for a pleasant experience. But once the surgery was done and I was in recovery, I was in and out of consciousness in recovery, so I was stuck there for a little while. I think about an hour to two hours. It was a bit longer than with Jackson because there was so much, I guess, pain medication in my body, so the recovery took a bit longer. But by that stage, you know, by the end of that stage, they, they wheeled me into my room and it was pretty late. So I think Jackson, uh, Isla was born about 8 o'clock and then I ended up meeting her at about 11 o'clock at night. So it was about three hours. I just remember being wheeled into the room and then... Uh, you know, the nurse came in and had, had Isla with her in the in the bassinet and I just remember looking at Isla in the bassinet and thinking, oh, my God, do I have to, like, do I have to right now? I actually can't. I don't have it in me. And mind you, this is like an internal battle and I just looked at the nurse and I actually asked her, does she need to be in here with me right now? Do I need to feed her? And she said, no, she's actually fed. I said, is there anywhere else she can go? And she said, we can take her to the, to the nursery if you, you know, want to rest. And I said, yes, please. Like, I, I, I can't take her right now. And then sometime later, that same nurse came in um, and stayed with me while I fed Isla because, it, you know, once you have a cesarean, it's really difficult to move because it's major surgery. So I needed her to take, to give her to me and then take her from me. Um, and sort of in this duration of feeding, I was having a conversation with her and saying how, expressing actually how I felt and really disconnected from her at this point. And I didn't really want her with me. And then she sort of then expressed, because I sort of said, oh, I feel so awful saying this out loud, you know, like I, I, I know this sounds really bad, but like, I'm going to be really honest. This is exactly how I feel. And I just don't really have the capacity to access the parts of me that would help me overcome this feeling right now and she was like oh that's okay and sort of later on um in the night when she came back in again we had a little discussion about this I was about what I was feeling and I said you know I I remember saying sorry so many times and yeah then she went on to express to me that she had challenges with fertility and, and 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 being able to fall pregnant And I just remember at that very moment, my stomach just dropped. How could I be feeling these feelings and expressing this, knowing that other people and other women struggled to even conceive in the first place? And that just, it kind of a little bit brought me down and I just thought, fuck, like, what am I going to do with this emotion now? Like, I just felt so much guilt then. And I guess in a way, I just sort of ended up resting that off because what was I meant to do? And anyway, the next day I was brought back in and after a good rest like I felt so much better and I guess looking back at that I now know and understand that that was actually trauma and that's where I was responding from because that surgery was traumatic and even though it's taken me a lot of years to understand it and I guess a lot of years to even go back into those feelings that I was feeling at the time I now understand that it was trauma and my body was just my body and mind were just responding from that place you know I, I was doing the best I could with the tools that I currently had but yeah, I had to I'd really actively work on my connection with Isla and eventually over time it, you know, became more seamless, I guess, like Jackson was. And, you know, I went to raise on both my children and they're now very capable and adaptive humans. So I don't believe that that experience had any impact on them. I'm sure that the trauma associated with me birthing Isla has some sort of impact on Isla in some way uh, I won't always know exactly what that looks like because it's not my journey but I'll be open and available to her as she grows because I, I truly believe that trauma does things to you and you know you won't always know what that looks like let's get out of that sogginess <laughs> I was about three months old when I decided to start my first business in those first few months it was just exciting and you know it was visioning and dreaming and hoping and just you know pushing towards the amazing things that business can offer but you know two years prior to that I really did actually endeavor to start a business I actually wanted to start a business because like I said I was a a working mom and I just there was just so many barriers around being an employee 
to another business, also being, a, a, you know, raising a, a small family so and young children. So I thought, okay, how am I going to get out of this or how am I going to find a way to be financially stable with babies, basically? Like how can I be a working mother without it being absolutely excruciating every single day to drop them off and see them 12 hours later at night, you know? It was basically dark when I dropped them off and dark when I picked them up. So in, that's, that is so hard to reconcile as a mother. It was, it was really hard to reconcile that. But, you know, like I said, I started a business and voila, Nomadic Bell was born. My new baby. Um, I'm really proud of my business and I continue to learn and grow through the journey of its existence. The first year of business was a lot of learning and growing and I actually learned by doing because I'm a kinesthetic and visual learner, which means I sometimes need to make mistakes to learn and I've made lots of them. And when you make mistakes in a business, it almost feels like more heightened because you feel like you are on display in some respect because your business is on display and I felt like I was my business, you know. It's, business is like an extension of who you are. Separating those two things is actually a process. <laughs> and if you were anything like I was at the time, like I fully believed my business was who I am and therefore whatever it represented, it represented me. So that was hard, you know. I had to, I had to feel my way through that. Um, so that made, means I made a lot of mistakes and sometimes those mistakes felt very, very personal. So I, I sort of stuck in and I kept moving forward because the drive to succeed was greater than that of uh, failing. And I mean, you know, by this stage, I had already known that failure was a part of business. So I knew that no matter what, all these failures, I would, you know, get through and, and we'd keep moving on somehow and, and keep evolving. I would keep evolving. So without that push of knowing that, I probably wouldn't be where I am today. And the lessons I've had to learn in business, especially early on, were really lonely because when you're starting out and you're at the startup stage, you work alone and you do whatever you can to get it on its knee, to get from, sorry, on your knees and to get up. And yeah, and at the time my partner was working away for weeks at a time. So I was essentially kind of single mummying the process of my my daughter's early part of her life and, and my son was only young too. So, and this was like essentially my early learnings of being a mum. Uh, and he was actually working away. So that means that like I was doing it on my own for the most part of every month um, with the exception of about a week where he was home and he would help. And I guess you would call that the FIFO life, uh, FIFO wife life, um, if that's the best way for you to identify with it. But yeah, it was really, really difficult. And that went on for about 12 months. So for the first 12 months of Viola's life, it was really hard. Um, and I would, you know, I really heavily lent on my support systems you know, I, as my business grew, I was presented with, you know, lots of, of challenges and, you know, if I would make mistakes or there were things that didn't quite work, I would have to find other ways um, to keep moving forward. But, you know, because I was running early stages of my business in the early stages of Isla's life alone, I learned partner-wise, I, I did that alone, I learned heavily on my support system. So I supported, I, I was sort of leaning on my family and friends um, to help me through that stuff and help me through the processes of being in that stage of my life. But eventually my inability to process emotions, um, especially emotions attached to my self-identity and worth, were beginning to show um, a signs of depression and anxiety. Uh, I'd experienced depression for, for a few years at this stage, um, you know, I'm like, I'm 25 by this stage and I'd been experiencing depression since I was about 15 or at the very least that's when I'd first identified it in my life, you know, via a doctor. I was experiencing what I now know as anxiety. And when it came, it came thick and it came fast. It swept me completely from underneath my feet. I remember he was there every day, um, and I didn't actually know what that fear of like what that fear was for because it wasn't it didn't feel like it was attached to anything. I just felt a lot of fear, and I would wake up some days and not be able to move. I would lay on the lounge and I would cry. I would just cry and sit in my own pool of dread for the day. And other days I would not be able to sit still because my body was shaking from the fear. And like I said, I now know that 
like shake is my flight response. Um, it's my body's way of protecting itself, you know, like I, my body was trying to protect itself. I just wasn't aware of it at the time. And it was hard. It was hard not being able to see myself as the perfect person in the world, especially in a world of being in a business and being a mum. For some reason, having a business or being a mum feels like everyone's eyes are on you, ensuring that you make no mistakes in the process. And, and, and when you identify with that feeling, even though you're not, I guess, saying it out loud to anybody else, you just sort of, it's like a belief system. I try to do it on my own, you know, and I was drowning. I really was fucking drowning. I don't want to get heavy in this 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 episode because I don't want you to think that this is how it's going to lead on, but I think it's very, very important to note that they were very heavy times of my life. I'm really lucky because I have incredible friends and family that helped me. Uh, I remember vividly, like one example is my beautiful friend Jessica. She just came over. I'm not actually sure why. I don't know whether she texted me or what it was, but she came over and she sort of, you know, just came to my front door um, and she's seen me in the state that I was in and it wasn't great. And she just sort of scanned my house at the time and looked directly over to the kitchen, walked over to it, started washing up and cleaning up. And she just, I guess she instinctively knew that I needed help and she just got straight to it. Like no questions asked. And I like, these are the people that I'm privileged to share this journey with and I'll never be able to fully express my gratitude for them, but it's a really important note that the support I had was available to me. Um, not everybody has that. And if you don't have that, please reach out to me. I know I know the feelings so greatly about what that feels like to need somebody but not sure how to ask for it. But, yeah, like during this time, the anxiety it was just it was so intense and I was still understanding what anxiety even was um, I had so much going on because I but you know by this stage I'd created this lifestyle around business and family I'd created this busyness you know I didn't leave any room to look after myself because I left no room for self-care it was so my time was so filled with business and and my family um that my mental health had become quite difficult to manage and I had to go and ask for help you know I went and seen a doctor I remember being desperate really I've always had this awareness uh, that there are things and 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 options out there to support mental health it's the it's the drive to access it I think that's the difference so with that I just want a trigger warning I am going to discuss my journey with suicidal thoughts and ideation so if this triggers something in you, please seek help or DM me. I'm happy to talk to you and please know that you are loved and supported. And so with that, I'll explain to you where it really began for me uh, in, in the reaching out of help. Um, so I went to see a doctor and at the time I presented, I just, I remember presenting pretty intense. Like I was like, okay, look, something's wrong with me. I don't know what it is. And these are the things I'm experiencing. And the things I had to disclose to him, I had so much shame around. So I was experiencing thoughts of suicide, which I knew I didn't want to act on. So I had this awareness that I didn't want to act on these things, but I also was experiencing these thoughts. I really was experiencing the, the thoughts of suicide, but also the awareness that this is not what I wanted to do. So it's a really, it's a weird place to be in, I tell you. Um, but these thoughts were so strong and so dangerous to me at the time that the doctor just prescribed me with medication to ease what I was experiencing to dull out the noise a little bit and allow me to think and breathe on one thing at a time. And at the time, I didn't tell anyone about the prescription. I sat on it for about a week. Uh, and I remember feeling afraid to bring it up and feeling a lot of shame around that associated with the thoughts that I had. And then also associated with the fact that I had been prescribed medication to deal with those. Um, but I, I remember I did express it, like sort of wanted to just... 
glaze over the subject a little bit to see if I had the opportunity to talk about what I was experiencing. And when I did, I was met with things like, you don't need medication. You can do it on your own. You can do it without the medication. Anxiety is just a label. Don't attach yourself to it. It's not that bad. You will be fine in time. And so on. So the statements came rolling in. And so that sort of made me close up. I sort of realized that it wasn't safe for me to talk about these things. That It wasn't, you know, safe to talk about what I was experiencing. The only people that I was safe to do so was a doctor or those very, very close to me, which, you know, are people like my sister and my mum at the time. And I recognised that these comments were well-meaning, but it just wasn't what I needed at the time. It's not what anybody needs to hear when they're going through it. I thought that I was going to die. Like, I dreamt of it. I had incessant thoughts about it. No amount of positivity was going to get me out of it. No amount of positivity at all. I just needed medical intervention. And so I began taking medication. Uh, I took it for about three weeks, which I know in the medical field is not a long time. And, and you know, to, 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 to sort of help you on yours if you're experiencing this, you need to give it time. Um, but that needs to be dealt with with you and your professionals that you've that you've reached out to so please ensure that you are doing the right things and and you're following the guidelines because it is important you know so I did it for about three weeks and in that three weeks was was so strange like I just remember not knowing who I was in that experience I wasn't able to sort of access my own personality or character I just was sort of in a lot of ways I was just surviving it did the right thing for me it, it dulled out the noise it allowed me to focus on one thing at a time it slowed me down a little bit because I was I was I was on an intense level at the time um, prior to the medication. Uh, so it did what it needed to do, you know. And I sort of self-medicated with alcohol, as we most of us do, just so I could escape the reality that I was living. But it wasn't working. So, well, not that it wasn't working. It was working. It was doing its job. I just didn't feel like it was right for me. So I ended up scrapping the prescription. And I didn't, I didn't attempt to, to go and use them anymore. I decided to do other options and try other ways. So, you know, I tried things like meditation. I specifically remember meditation being one of the main things that I had started to try and use because at the time my good friend, Adika, who, like I said, owns Nin Yoga, uh, she said to me, you know, just download this app. It's called Headspace. It's guided meditation. You don't have to come to yoga to do that. Like you can just, you can just try it, see how it goes. And so I did, like I, I gave it a good go. I remember trying to do it with two little kids, which was so hard. The times of the day that I would try and do it was like in their, when they weren't about really, uh, they were sleeping and I could actually get the time to do so. And I remember singing at the top of my stairs because they were in bed and I needed to hear and listen to them, but I also needed to zone my world out for a minute and just zone into meditation and, and see if this thing was going to help me. And my anxiety was really bad and I remember like my legs would be shaking, bouncing up and down, sitting at those stairs, trying to listen to me, trying to be like, okay, it's, you know, the meditation is telling you to notice these things, but don't attach yourself to these things. So don't notice your legs that they're going crazy. Just focus, just focus, just focus, just focus. And it's not easy at the start of doing meditation, at your start of journey. It's really difficult actually because we live in a world that's constantly going. So actually switching off from a world and slowing it down or stopping it in some way is hard. Okay, so adding to the mix that my body was trying to get its way out of wherever I was almost every minute of the day. So it was really difficult to be honest. Uh, but I did, I tried so, so hard cause I was desperate. I wanted anything to work. And along the way I developed a sort of thick skin with anxiety. The anxiety was really strong, but I was just learning how to live with it rather than figure out a way to get rid of it. You know, cause I, by this stage I had just resigned to the fact that anxiety was part of who I am and I needed to figure out a way to live with it. But evidently, as time went on, I was not able to continue with just living with it. I ended up quitting my stable job 
and committing to be a stay-at-home mum with Nomadic Bell, which so far was, you know, just a side hustle business. And for the most part, giving up that job was the best decision I ever made. My employment there kept me small. Not that it kept me small because, you know, it was the type of job that kept people small. It was just not for me. I was busting at the edges to grow, um, but it just wasn't supported. So I ended up quitting my stable job and, yeah, just went on to grow this business that I now can say is very successful in in all its glory. Uh, But at the time, like as we all do, I questioned my ability to actually create an income to support me outside of this stable job, outside of this idea that, you know, having a job was pretty much the only way to go. That's the way to success and future and, and being able to build from there and financial stability, I guess. Uh, so I got to work, really. I got to work generating that money. I'm, you know, reaching out to lots of different ways to market and just building the business. Because by this stage, I was like, I'm going to have to prove myself on this one. Like, I'm going to have to prove I made the right decision. And you know what? The journey of growing a business is both excruciatingly hard and liberating. And liberation was what I was looking for. <laughs> and hard things were something that I'd already experienced. So I was like, yeah, I'm in the right place, you know. Fast forward a couple of years and I was still experiencing chaos in my life. So, you know, mental health things and, and just life things in general. Uh, and I found myself constantly going to rescue people. So anybody that was sort of reaching out to me in any way, shape or form, I was like, oh, my God, I can help you. Like, Because, you know, this desire of helping others because I desired help myself um, just got me into a position where I was really just rescuing others. Um, especially people in my family because, you know, they're the closest people to you. And I guess I was just running off a trauma response for a really long time in so many areas of my life and so much so that it became normal, you know. I recognise now that I had been conditioned to operate this way and I fully hold compassion for the woman I was then. I got about two years ago now, so a few years down the line, I got so fed up with myself and the shit I was constantly facing and I wanted to change it. I was in the pits, really, and I just got so sick of it. And so I got to work trying to figure out where it was and what it was that I could do to change it, change my life. And I remember being able to – I remember saying to my friends, um, because it was short short of us um, not long before we were turning 30 – so we were all like expressing like, fuck, we're getting old or whatever. At least there was a few conversations at that at this point. Um, but I remember saying to them like, mm, something's happening. I feel weird. I feel like my shirt, my skin is shedding. Obviously it wasn't, but like something felt like it was happening, right? Um, and I, I, I strongly identify with feeling because it's really strong for me. But yeah, like I felt like I was shedding my skin. That's what I expressed to them. And I remember they were like, um, calm down. All right, turning 30 is not that big of a deal. Like you are, you know, how you feel, not your age, the age that you feel, whatever. Like it doesn't matter. Now I know what I was trying to say or what I was feeling at the very least now because we're a few years down the line from me saying that. But yeah, like I then, I then spent a couple of years and it's about two years um, working on myself and looking at the way I operate in the world and, and the relationships that I was engaging and what I could do to change those things for myself. I've spent a lot of time going inward, finding the core of the issues that I'd been dealing with repeatedly for my life, for my entire life up until this point anyway. And I was looking for things and ways to work on them to better understand myself and how to better express and operate in the world. And so in the coming episodes, I'm going to talk to you about those things that I did going inward and, and the tools and the resources that I have had to use and have integrated into my life for the better uh, so that you can too use these resources to see if you can apply them to your life and see if they can also help you too. And I want to be here to support that journey. So like I said, we'll discuss and expand on more things so that the tools and the resources and and the experience that I've had going inward and and working all this stuff out within me um and you know what you don't need to be suffering to do that you know you don't need to be living a really hard and chaotic life um 
or, you know, low level, low negative vibing life. Uh, in fact, you can actually just be going about life pretty fine. You might think that there's really nothing for you to work on and every part and every area of your life is actually pretty amazing and that's great for you and I um, I hope that maybe you don't have to really do anything to do to, to have a better life but I also know that by working on these things and working on parts of you that aren't currently working can really expand and help you grow and potentially help you access parts of yourself that you've never accessed before that you've not been taught to access before just so then you could have a higher quality of life so I hope that you find value in my story Uh, I know that this particular episode I'm just expressing what led like led me to this stage of my life where I'm now going to share it with you um and you know it feels a little low vibing a little neg (laughs) I understand that, um, but there is going to be more positive and more vibrant conversations coming from this. I promise you, I promise you. <laughs> you can count on me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna really deliver for you, and I really hope that what I deliver on is um, going to hit something in you that really helps ignite parts of you that are asleep. So, with that, thank you for coming along on this journey with me. This conversation isn't easy for me to have because like I said it was really hard but it's an integral part of the learnings that I'm going to talk about um so yeah I endeavor to continue to expressing expand with you so until next time be brave and be bold in your pursuit of life I really look forward to where this will take us Oh, 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 oh,